Hello, welcome to Life and Leadership with Kim Williams. Today's conversation is going to be a good one. It's a necessary one for nonprofit CEOs in particular. So I want you to grab your copy, get comfortable, get something to take notes, because we're going to have a great time today. So today I'm here with my friend and a former client, Lanita Dunlap, to talk about serving others without sacrificing yourself, i.e. how to minimize burnout. So welcome, Lanita. Hi, Kim. How are you? It's always a great time when you and I connect. So I'm excited about today's conversation, and I look forward to just hanging out with you and just really sharing some tidbits and some tips about how to minimize burnout. Um, Yeah, so I'm excited. I, I am too. I am too. So we, like you said, we always have a great time when we get together. So let me tell you a little bit about Lanita. Um, so you've had an impressive career in the in the nonprofit world. Oh my gosh, my my um, internet, my uh, messages on. Okay, um, let's see. You have had a variety of positions from fund development to. Um, Uh, being a uh, executive leadership. You're currently serving as the vice president of operations at Abai Women's Health. Um, Abai Mm -hmm. Women's Health is a nonprofit organization that exists to to improve birth outcomes in communities with the lowest quality of care by offering health care and complementary services that are easily accessible, holistic, evidence-based, and free from judgment. You're also pursuing your doctorate degree, and it's that mm-hmm. pursuit that's the subject matter um, for today's topic. So you, that's me talking about you. Why don't you um, tell us who you are in your own words? Thank you, Kim. First of all, every time I hear my bio or pieces <laughs> of it, I'm always just impressed about what the Lord has done, right? Like, it's just interesting to see how he took like something that was I was very passionate about service. And then I always tell people the story that I was a young woman riding the bus in Chicago. And I was always curious about, like I would see moms and sons and I knew that nonprofits existed, but I was always curious to see whether those nonprofits could actually sustain. I don't know why that that was my thoughts. I had no clue. I think it was something that God had burdened my heart with. And so literally I'm one of those few people who actually pursued a career in nonprofit. Like I actually went and got a degree, a master's degree in public administration, later moved from Chicago um, to Dallas in order to really learn about Christian education, things of that nature. And then now in pursuing uh, this PhD, it really centers around burnout because I recognize that we are too comfortable with it in the nonprofit sector. We think that, hey, this just this part for the course. And I'm like, you know what? We can do some things to minimize it and to even alleviate it. But I think because we're just so used to the leader being the one that has to learn everything. Like when you think about corporations, oftentimes that CEO, they have VPs and assistants and things of that nature. In order for nonprofit leaders to have that, you typically had to, you know, have to raise tons of money to get the resources you need. And so oftentimes you're not coming into environments that are really set up for you to actually succeed. So, so often you kind of fail, you figure it out, you burn out, you kind of recover. Maybe you recover, you're overwhelmed all the time. And it's not until you actually can get on your feet that you start to think about ways in which you can like, okay, I don't want to do this like this anymore. And so my thought is like, let's expose this and not only expose it, but what are we doing as a sector to alleviate it, um, to think through it, to take some of the work off the, the executive leader and really make certain that the board is doing their part, other stakeholders are doing their part. And so a lot of my research is really centered around not only just the definition of burnout, but how do we alleviate it and how do we actually get the stakeholders? Because when you think about the work that we do, mm-hmm. we're the ones that's actually taking like we're filling the gaps between what the government can't do and what corporations either won't you know or can't do and so we really should have better policies in place that not only really understand why we're doing what we're doing but to really understand that hey we are serving people that may wouldn't 
that wouldn't even get access to service. And so I think that that we have to really change that conversation of letting other people really know just the aspect of what we do and the importance of what we do. So I think that that, that there's a shift in thinking, a shift in understanding the the leverage that we have and actually bringing us into more conversations on the policy level. So that's really what my heart is. I love that. I love that. So let's explore this topic a little bit more. All right. So I have three questions about burnout that I'd love for you to answer. The first one is what is the um, actual definition of burnout? Because a lot of us think it's just like, oh, I'm just like tired. I don't want to go to work. And it's not just that. What's the actual definition of burnout? So burnout has more burnout has more to do with situational factors than personalities or individual personalities. So according to researchers, burnout actually causes a help, like a a person that's giving help to become unmotivated and apathetic. So when you think about us as leaders, especially in a nonprofit space, so much of what we do is all about providing hope and vision and things of that nature. So imagine not wanting to actually share that, right? You become emotionally withdrawn. You depersonalize with the people that are that are meant to help. And it's just like, it's centered around people work. And so you're drained by the very people that you normally are excited to help. And that's where it becomes a huge problem because the very nature of what you do as a leader or as a nonprofit leader is to serve people. And so when you become burnt out, you really it's it's like you lose hope in some ways. You're the one that's supposed to be the main ambassador, the internal you know, cheerleader, the external ambassador. And all of that is weighing on you so much to the point where you don't even want to do it. You're emotionally like you're unmotivated. And, and if you know anything about and obviously with your background, you know how important it is to have that main leader being that main ambassador. And if they can't do that work, the nonprofit is in jeopardy. So that, that's really good because my second question was going to ask you, what does that look like? And so definitely that loss of motivation, which is interesting because that requires personal honesty. And the reason why I say it requires personal honesty is that you can't lead an agency and look unmotivated. So you're going into meetings no. and you're saying the things that you're supposed to say. You're sticking to the talking points in script. You're telling the client success stories. You're going through the motions mm-hmm. that are necessary for you to do your job. But yep. internally, you're feeling like, this. I just can't do this anymore. Like, this is just too much. I think mm-hmm. for, for me, there's like this feeling of, this never ending problem cycle that Mm -hmm. begins to feel overwhelming. It's like, you know, yes, no sooner than I get this goal accomplished, no sooner than I raise this money, no sooner than I hire this staff person, does something else happen or something happens in the community to completely cause us to have to change course. So there becomes like this perpetual problematic cycle that causes you to kind of lose hope individually, like as a leader. So I think really being self-aware, because if you're good at your job, like many of us have learned to be, you people from on the outside may not be able to tell, but you need to be able to tell. So Mm -hmm. if you're self-assessing, which is like my second question, what are some of those signs that you're burnout or approaching burnout? Here's the deal. We really got to talk about this. Um, I think a lot of times chronic stress and that can show up in so many ways. I know for me personally, it showed up in weight gain, hair loss, Mm -hmm. um, my skin. Like if you look at pictures, I mean, this is just real talk. If you look at pictures of me when I first started as CEO and when I left, I am a few sizes bigger. My hair is a lot shorter and not because I purposely cut my hair. Um, And so it shows up in those ways that sometimes we're not even thinking about because you're so caught up in doing the work. And depending upon the budget of your agency, you know, you're sometimes trying to, you know, raise funds to pay payroll or to make payroll. And so when you think about the nature of the work, um, what happens typically is that 
you have to look at your health. Like, like, like it's kind of like when doctors don't take care of themselves, right? It's the same thing because you're doing people type work and in the essence of what your work is, you have to take time to, to go to the doctor, to get your physicals, to check your cholesterol, especially yeah. as black people. Like we really got to look at our health, our um, blood pressure levels and things of that nature. And oftentimes from a, just from personal um, testimony. I mean, literally I became like, I, I had, I have high blood pressure now, cholesterol issues, mm-hmm. um, things that I wasn't even aware of. Like some of it could be hereditary. Sure. Yeah. But I know a lot of it came because of just not taking care of myself. Like when you think about just the, the fast pace of your job, sometimes you're not eating properly. You're not yeah. working out. You wore out. Like think about it. When you're getting up early, setting the day, you got meeting after meeting after meeting. Yeah. Um, then you have to deal with staff, staff issues. You're looking at budget. You got, you know, board things to deal with. So at the end of the day, the last person that's being taken care of is you. Yeah. The last person that is, you know, when everybody is so focused on your mission, they're not thinking, wait a minute, if Lanita's not doing well, then how do we actually do the work? And that's the that's the shift that has to happen. And that's the self-advocacy that you have to have for yourself is when you take on a role, you have to be like, like hey, hold on. What's in place for yeah. my development? What's in place for, for me as an individual to not be wore out? Because I think that that's the mindset is like, hey, this is just par for the course. And I kind of want to say, you know, it doesn't have to be. I love that. I love that. So that takes us to the next thing, like our personal journeys with burnout, our personal testimonies. Do you want to get started? You want me to get started? How you want to do it? I would love to hear your story. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I've experienced burnout a couple of times in my career. So mm-hmm. when I first started as the CEO of Interfaith Family Services, you know, it's one of those things where I just read a great article this this week about um black female leaders in particular and the glass cliff. Have you read that article? Yeah. I have. Yes. Yeah. So it's like glass ceiling. Obviously, we know what that is as female leaders, but a glass cliff being the case for a lot of African-American females where you're given a job under really harsh circumstances. And I I know that was true for me and so many of my colleagues. So I got in um, two weeks after I started. We had our biggest presentation for funding ever with United Way. Um, in preparation for that, I found out that we had a $500,000 deficit. We were halfway through the fiscal year, had a $500,000 deficit that no one told me about in the five interviews that I had. Um, culturally, I was their first external leader, meaning they had a founder, a person the founder appointed, and then me. So culturally, um, they did not want me because the, 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 someone, another internal candidate had gone for the position and everybody was hoping that they got it and they got me. So we had cultural issues. So I'm literally coming in and it's like the building's on fire mm-hmm. and I'm having to put the fire out. I'm having to some kind of way, figure out how to address the cultural issues. I'm having to explore new funding options for this deficit. And um, I just did exactly all the things you talked about on that list of signs. In my first three years, I gained 50 pounds. I, mm-hmm. It was just, I didn't, um, I worked long hours. I felt like I was working all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I it started attacking my security because I'm working in an environment in terms of my self-esteem because I'm working in an environment that a lot of people didn't want me there. So I'm questioning my ability to lead after having 15 years of successful leadership experience. I'm suddenly feeling Mm -hmm. not good at it. Um, And so it just got to the point after year three that I was basically like, even though the organization was starting to turn around, our outcomes were improving, we were on a better financial footing. I just was like, I'm sick of this. I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't like being here. I don't like the work. Um, and so it just kind of came to a head where I had to determine if I was going to stay, if I was going to go somewhere else. I started interviewing, honestly, and mm-hmm. 
every place that I interviewed had their own set of problems. <laughs> it was just like uh, the devil I know or the devil I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. So the mo- It just came to me that if I wanted to do this work, regardless of the organization, regardless of the cause, I was going to have to find a way to do the work and protect myself. Mm-hmm. So that was like the first, the first kind of breakdown. I got really, really aggressive about, about taking care of, well, I got really, really aggressive, I think, about saying to myself that I'm going to lead in a way that's authentic to me. I'm going to mm-hmm. to put aside all these external feedback of you should do this and you should do that and you should be like this and you should be like that. And the only way that I can survive is if I create a system that aligns with who I am. So I did that. I changed how I met with people. I changed. um, I started, you know, doing that based on my own personal rhythms. I'm better in the morning, not in the afternoon. I don't meet with anybody on Mondays because coming in for a meeting on Monday means you have to prepare when? Sunday. So I was like, I need my weekend. So I didn't meet with people on Mondays. I prepared for meetings on Mondays. I didn't meet with people Friday after 12 o'clock. Um, I just changed, restructured everything. I increased my vacation time. Like I just switched things. Um, I got an assistant who became the guardian of my office. There were certain parameters I put in place with who I met with, how I met with them, when I met with them. Um, and so I just had to completely change how I function. Um, and it helped. And then the next thing I knew, I took on a capital campaign the next year. (laughs) Breakdown number two, got through the capital campaign, four years of my life, raising money for our new facility, had the grand opening, had this great mountaintop experience. And after it was over, I was like, I just, I don't know. I remember having this great day and my board president at the time said, now what's the next mountain you're going to climb? And I was like, huh? (laughs) What do you mean? What I, mm-hmm. like, man, I can't mm-hmm. wait to see what you're going to do next. And I got mm-hmm. this overwhelming feeling of I can't keep, you know, climbing all these mountains and survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I mean, for literally nine months, I just was there making sure the wheels were turning, making sure doing the job. But mentally, I was like not there. Yep. I had a great leadership team, um, but it just was very difficult. And I never, ever in my life experienced not wanting to go to work. I had this great new office, this great new building. Then COVID happened. So that kind of helped because I don't know if I should, I could have survived if COVID Mm -hmm. didn't happen Mm -hmm. because it actually gave me a chance to reset. But in those first few months after we opened, I was like, I just don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the second awakening. And um, so, yeah, so those are the two the two incidents in my life that I've dealt with professional burnout. Wow. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and, and you know what was so interesting is that that's so many people's stories. I mean, as I'm collecting data for my dissertation, you know, I have heard, I mean, that's what made me really want to study this because when I left the organization that I was CEO of, I mean, I ran into so many people who were just open about their stories yeah. and it was, it, and it gave me such hope because I was like, like when you leave an organization, like if someone asks you to leave, it can come across as failure. Right. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was more like a relief. Yeah. So when I think about burnout and what I dealt with, I think for me, it was like when I got hired, similar situation, six figure deficit, didn't tell me after all the interviews, meeting at the country clubs, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, all this whining and dining. And I'm like, OK, I know that the program person is leaving. I know this. I know that. But again, the financials, they didn't show me this yeah. deficit and they went up front with it. Right. Yeah. And their mindset, because of the organization, was, 
you know, really just kind of uh, staying alive because the founders were the ones. So people really didn't even fall in love with the mission. Yeah. Um, there was just so much that was wrong with the organization. But because these founders were so connected, it was kind of like their project. And so people mm-hmm. just kind of gave to it. But I mean, for me, it was more like we have to make mission first. We have to make certain that we know what we're doing. So a lot of my job really was changing the face of the organization, mm-hmm. doing research on the kids that we serve to make sure to, to make certain that that, that was the, okay. the focal point of the work and, and the reason why we were gaining funding. And so working with refugee children, you learned a lot about the social emotional needs. So we were talking about social emotional learning before so many organizations were talking about it because of the fact that when you have children acculturate to our country, you're dealing with a lot of um, just, I mean, kids are coming in, they're three to four, three to four levels behind the school. Um, that that them being able to adapt was very, very difficult. And so now we have them in an after-school program, and our only focus is for them to master English. But then when the student is acting up, we don't have any skills mm-hmm. uh, and we don't have the services available to to serve them. And so I had the audacious goal of, of saying, you know what, even though we're quote unquote an after-school program, I feel like because we have three hours a day each day, how can we incorporate some type of you know, mental health services within that space. And we were like very successful in doing that. But I think for me was not knowing how to set proper boundaries and not knowing how to demand what was needed. Because here's the thing, board members are, are supposed to be like, they're the ones that are supposed to be fiscally responsible for the organization. Yeah, you're out there, you're an ambassador, you're out there connecting and talking about it. But to come in with a six-figure deficit, I mean, I would tell anybody now, like I tell them, like any of my clients, Mm -hmm. I tell them, I said, look, look at those financials, look at the 990s, check everything out, ask the important questions, because you want to know, this will give you a glimpse into understanding like the board setup, like are they board members who are just in name only or are there folks who are responsible? Because at the end of the day, if you're coming into a six-figure deficit, that means that somebody was asleep at the wheel. Right. That means either the previous CEO and the board, I mean, they're all culpable. But yeah. for me, I just came in taking on all of that because I'm the CEO. So I had this... uh fixer complex that I yeah. had to fix it. And so then that was really what weighed on me the whole entire time. And then it kind of burnout kind of creeped on me when it got to the point where God wasn't giving me the favor that he had bestowed upon me mm-hmm. when I first started. Mm-hmm. And instead of me looking at that to say, okay, is that something where you're protecting me because you're like, hey, you have done enough? Mm-hmm. Or is it because you're failing? And of course, being how I am, I automatically assumed I'm failing when yeah. really it wasn't about me failing. God was like, look, you have done enough. Yeah. The board's not stepping up. And I know that you care about these kids and these families, but yeah. it's not on you. Right. And to get to that place, even though I felt like God was ministering that to me, I still was just pouring and pouring and pouring. And so when I was asked to step down, it was a sigh of relief. Like it really, truly was. And I wasn't mad. I wasn't angry. I was more like, hey, we could have had a conversation about this uh, sooner and we could have put some things in place. But I said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I think what I saw was God's hand on my life. Yeah. Because what was so interesting about the timing was that that was January of 2022. I mean, of 2020. So imagine... After dealing with all of that stress, trying to leave loss program with no people or clients because everybody's co- yeah, that would have been horrible. Exactly. And so I felt like God was just like, look, I know what's ahead, and I know that you may not know, but he just gave me such peace that the timing was right. Yeah. And he, you know, I was able to get back in school. I, I had took off a whole year and a half of my PhD program because I just felt so overwhelmed. And again, 
I'm sacrificing my personal goals for the sake of this organization, because that's how sometimes as CEOs, we just feel so responsible. And I think that that's the key is recognizing that you only can do so much. Like it's not your job to be the superwoman or the superman. And especially as African-American women, I mean, it's like, like your, you know, board chair at the time said, what's the next mountaintop? They're so used to you being able to succeed in adversity. And again, historically, that's what we do. We are resilient people. But at the same time, we got to let folks know that we want the soft life too. I mean, and so, you know, there's there's multiple things that you said that hit me all during, you know, that were so similar. So one thing that you said was related to like this overwhelming sense of I've got to fix it without the accountability for the condition it was in when you got there. Exactly. And full stop. Full stop, Kim. Full stop. I think that that is something that I have learned, you you know, and that's probably one of the things that caused my staff not to like me um, when Mm -hmm. I started was that I just said I was not going to own that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, just I was like, I don't know how we got here, but I'm not going to accept the responsibility to get us out of this condition overnight. And I created a three-year strategy to systematically get us out of that debt, you know, that included two years of ending with a with a deficit. Like I just said, I'm just not gonna do it, you know. So mm-hmm. like, and I think that a, but a lot of leaders. And I think it's because of my previous experience that kind of taught me that. But a lot of leaders, it's, when we're given these positions, we feel like I got to prove myself. And exactly. you know, the Lord showed me his open door is his validation. Exactly. If he gives me the title, I'm already validated. I don't have to go in here and then prove to you that I now deserve it. Because exactly. so that's the other thing. So mentally, you have to say, I'm here because God sent me and I refuse to take on this full responsibility to get us out of this crazy situation overnight. And then uh-huh. secondly, what are you going to do to help me? Exactly. Like at the end of the day, you have all these great ideas. I was just counseling a client this week who was new to an organization. And she's uh-huh. like, yeah, they want to meet with me about how to raise money and blah, blah, blah. And I said, so how long has, has this board been in place? 10 years. Exactly. Like, well, why aren't any of why weren't any of these ideas implemented before you got here? Exactly. So I wouldn't give this meeting any more urgency, <laughs> any sense of urgency, because they had ten nope. years to implement what they're now trying to stress push you to do in six months. Mm-hmm. I reject that. And yep. you know, like, like, no, you had if it was so easy, you would have done it. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's one big thing that just kind of came through to me. But then the second thing, you know, you were saying how at the end when when like the resources started to dry up, uh-huh. that you saw that you were you stressed, not stressed, you struggled with seeing that as failure. You know, there's a scripture that says when God opens God opens doors that no man can open and he closes doors. No, he closes he what is he closes doors no man can open and he opens doors that no man can shut. It's funny yep. how we always think open doors are God, but not closed doors. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and like they, they're they both him. That scripture mm-hmm. said attributes both of those things to God. Mm-hmm. And girl, it was such an amazing time. Doors. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, seriously, it's like they asked me to step down on January 6th. And the reason why I remember it is because it was uh, Lois Evanson's funeral. Mm-hmm. And this goes to show you just how people care about you, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm literally watching this woman's funeral. She was an amazing mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. And I told them that I was going to be there and, and they're demanding to see me. So now I'm having to leave the service, mm-hmm. right? Because this is what they're demanding. And again, me not having boundaries. I should have said yeah. no. Yeah. And what they had in store was they had the new person that was coming to replace me to go meet with the staff, all this drama. Wow. And honest, honestly, it's like they asked me that on the 6th. By the next week, my school reached out and was like, hey, we, you know, you're entered, like you're back into the program. We're giving you five more years to complete it. By the way, we would love for you to be a graduate research assistant. 
and we want to be able to give you health insurance for you and your family. So I'm sitting here like, wait a minute, I'm going to get university level health insurance (laughs) and be able to take a break. Yeah. Focus on research and study for my exams and not stress out. Really? Yeah. So I'm thinking that's a blessing. That is not I mean, and, and that's to me, I was like back to what you're saying about that scripture. It was a closed door yeah. that God ordained. Yeah. And I'm thankful that I had the friends and the community that reminded me of my worth because I didn't get depressed about it. It was more like, no, you're burnt out. They don't care about you. Yeah. You you leaving right at the good. I mean, at a good time. And then COVID and the pandemic happened months later, and I'm sitting at home like sipping my tea, sipping yeah. my coffee, <laughs> you know, yeah. making my money, starting a consulting business, yeah, and living my best life. And I mean, and that's where I've been on for the last you know couple of years. Yeah, and I'm and I don't think I would have ever seen that had I continue to buy into their version of what they felt I needed to be. And you got to know who you are. You got to know who you are. I love that because you know what? It's funny. We both came to those same conclusions with different outcomes, but the same critical conclusion Mm -hmm. that we have to be who we are destined to be if we are to survive. Yep. And who you're, who you are is rejected by where you are, then you should leave you because, gotta go. be, because being somebody else is never going to work. It's never mm-hmm. going to work. So being able to be in a space where you can be your authentic self is going to be key for your survival because the weight of being someone else, I was just um, talking to my last pe- podcast, guest, podcast guest when we were talking about how being inauthentic is like wearing a coat in the Texas summer heat. Girl, ooh. Like, <laughs> you're walking, but that walk is harder because you and got the extra layer that uh-huh. is not intended for that environment. So yeah. you, you got to come off, get those layers off so you can endure. Your yep. endurance is going to be greatly affected by adding a layer that is inauthentic. Mm-hmm. So that's the heart disease. That's the high blood pressure. You got on this exactly. extra in the heat. Exactly. Leadership is a heated position. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, that is a heated environment. So you have on this extra layer in a heated environment and wondering why your heart is overworked and you're, you're you know, so yeah, I think that that is just really key. Which brings us to the next thing, the third part of the podcast, which is all about tips for minimizing burnout. Um, So let's get into those tips. So Mm -hmm. based on your experiences, what do you think would be some key tips to minimize or avoid or both burnout? Here's the thing. Don't think of your role as striving. Think about it as thriving. Mm. And whatever it, whatever you need to thrive, that is the, the, the demand that you have for your board. Yeah. Whatever it is to thrive. We sometimes come from such a background where enough, we, we have that just enough mindset. And honestly, if I can leave people with just anything, God has called you to thrive. Yeah, life and life. Thrive. Yes. Live abundantly. That doesn't mean that you won't go through certain things, but when he is positioning you, you're to thrive. And so when you're in a position and a role that's causing you to barely make it, that's causing you to have a struggle mindset, that's your cue that either... You need to let them know, hey, this is what I need to be my best self. Yeah. And if they're not willing to do that or they're putting you on conditions and all this stuff, be free to let it go. Because liberation and and living liberated is an amazing, amazing place to be. So thrive. Thrive is number one. I would say number two is to think about who God has called you to be. And I love the fact that within your consulting practice, you know, you're centered around just understanding your purpose. 
So think like, are you able to think, are you able to have reflection time? Mm-hmm. Like um, as a leader, oftentimes the best work is sitting and setting up times of reflection. It's not the doing. Like by the time you do something, you should have already thought through the strategy. So do you have thinking time, right? Like that is really what it boils down to. And then touch. What I think about this is, are you able to touch the lives that Mm -hmm. God has positioned you to the touch? Sometimes when you think about the nonprofit sector, and and this is not me calling out one organization over another, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes folks are getting tons of money and are not really doing the work. And I think about uh, the scripture that talks about the talents. And I'm like this, if God gives you a certain portion of talent and you misuse it, you need to understand that he will take it away. And so being a woman of faith, I had to realize that if I'm going to touch the lives that God has ordained me to touch, I need to be connected and planted and, you know, with the source. And so I need to think about, you know, sometimes that's minimizing all the programs to make certain that you're doing the right thing because God has a way of ordaining and positioning you when you choose to do the right thing. One of the ways to alleviate that Sometimes when you are a CEO, you get to mission creep or somebody sees something. But when you know exactly what he's called you to do to touch the lives of the people that he's put you over or the mission that he has you leading, you got to be able to say no. And no is a wonderful thing. And so it, it leads to boundaries. It leads to speaking up for yourself. It leads to doing all those things. So having the the three T's, you know, yeah, I love that. being able to thrive, being able to think and being able to touch in a most authentic way. And that'll be my tips. I love that. I really, really do. I think, I mean, it really hit me when you said, you know, think, thrive instead of survive. Um, I just thought about the scripture that says uh, what Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I think that sometimes we think that that doesn't apply to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, when you're yoked, you're still working a yoke. Exactly. You don't yoke an animal to lay in the field. Mm-hmm. The animal is only put, the yoke is only put on so that it could plow, it could work. So exactly. it's not as if you're not working. It's not as if you're not being effective, but it, it isn't meant to be constantly arduous. His yep. yoke is easy. His burden is light. It is not too heavy mm-hmm. to carry. So when you were saying think, thrive instead of survive, one of the things you also said was if you come in with that mindset, you're going to come in with what do I need to succeed in this role? Not yep. just let me fix everything, but what do I need to succeed? And so I think that that's, that's so key. And, you know, definitely, like you said, the think, the thinking time, the importance, you know, I'm, I'm all about impact. It just burns me up. Mm-hmm. When, <laughs> I see all these resources being utilized in a way that is not effective, particularly long-term. Yeah. Um, I think it's a plan of the enemy to get people yep. on hamster wheels, to take resources that could be used to do something effective. And instead it's just perpetuating the same issues that exist in the first place. So it looks yep. like motion, but it's really not um, effective. That is such a demonic, uh, you know, strategy and it's, it's irritating yep. um, to see. So I I'm a hundred percent with you on that. So mm-hmm. I love, I love your tips. And I think the, the one thing, I think the only thing that I could even think to add that is so in line with everything that you said is to come in protecting your priorities. Yep. That's good. Meaning your personal health, your family mm-hmm. time, your yep. time off, your hobbies, your interests. At the end of the day, whether you're there or not, those are the things that will endure and last. Mm-hmm. At the end of our life, no matter how much we were effective in our work, I want my family around me, my children, exactly. my grandchildren. I want them to be my legacy even more mm-hmm. than my work. Um yep. I want I want to reflect on times that we laugh together and we cry together and we have meaningful conversations with them and my friends. 
Mm-hmm. At the end of my life, that is what will be first. Yep. And so that's what I'm going to protect over everything. You know, I'm not going to miss my kids' games. I'm not going to. And what Mm -hmm. I have found is God makes it work. He does. If we align with him, if we say, again, you want me to have life and life more abundantly, you gave me this kid. So obviously you want me to take care of them. You gave Mm -hmm. me this house. Obviously you want me to spend some time with them. If we trust his alignment of our life and we walk it out, he'll protect our interests. He sure will. But we have to be determined to do it. We have to say, no, this is what's important to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think about when you were talking about, you know, being at the funeral and them calling you in and the importance of boundaries. I remember when I first started the, our development director, (laughs) oh God, she didn't like me. And she wanted, she told the board that the only way she was going to stay is if she could report directly to the board. (laughs) And so (laughs) And so they called, they, my board chair at the time said, Hey, you know, we have a crisis with the development director and um, the same development director that was there. We had a $500,000 deficit, but okay. But we have a crisis with the development director. We really want to meet with you on Sunday. And I said, Sunday won't work. Um, I'll, I'll be in the office on Monday, maybe Monday afternoon or something, but I can't give you Sunday. And they were like, what? And I just was like, let me not even pretend that I'm going to be on board with this, you know, because right. if you start doing something, you're going to continue to do it. So it's like one of those things where you have to be really, really clear, like, this is my personal time. This, And that's mm-hmm. not to say that there aren't an occasional event on a weekend or something. That's fine. But I'm not going to be at beck and call. I'm not going to, your crisis isn't going to be my crisis. Like, exactly. So, so I'm not going to exactly. be at the beck and call of like anybody unreasonably. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell my staff, this is an interfaith memorial hospital. Like at the end of the day, nothing That's we do. Saying. This ain't triage right yeah, now. Yeah, this is like, not right? triage. If a, there's a crisis, we're going to call 911 just like everybody else. So at mm-hmm. the end of the day, there's nothing that we do that's going to really, really be life and death at the end of the day. So that means we should have time to come up with a strategy for most things. So I think protecting your priorities and in keeping with that is really to control your calendar um, and how people access you. Yep. Um, Yep. One major paradigm shift for leadership, when you especially executive leadership, executive level leadership is you have to move from being wanting to be liked to wanting to be respected. Exactly. People um, ain't going to like you. I mean, that's what people just got to get over, over that. I mean, I think yeah. and it's easier said than done, but it's yeah. like, if you, if you lead an organization based off of everybody liking you yeah. versus doing the hard things, I mean, and I mean, and, and you know, this from having clients and even yourself, like, Sometimes it'll get out that, oh my gosh, she's mean or she's this. And then people meet you and they're like, wait a minute. Yeah. You're not that way. And I'm like, no, I just set a boundary, right? I just told them no, you know, because they don't know all of what I have to do. And they're wanting to start this new program, this new idea. And I'm still trying to figure out how to fund the current one. But instead of me going through all of that explanation, I'm just flat out telling you no or not yet or let's yeah. postpone. Yeah. But all they heard was she don't like my idea. When it's like, no, I gave, I, I affirmed you. I said it was great. And yeah. I also said, hey, let's actually look at it in quarter three. But it, but that wasn't what was communicated, right? No. What was communicated no. was support our staff. And I'm going to send a note to the board and yeah. da, 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 da. And that's the thing that I think, I mean, and, and we can talk about this all mm-hmm. day. But I think one of the pieces, too, is you got to have a board that pushes back on if a staff member reaches out on that's some good. Yeah. Because I that's, think that that's, that's not always good. You know what I'm saying? Like, No, you know what? I'm glad you said that. that. I'm, so, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry because you. I got excited about that when you said that. I know. Go, go. No, but no, no, you no. Know. Like, yeah. Oh, you know I know. So you know I, that's one of the first things that I when counseling one of my newest clients that's a new leader that mm-hmm. I don't know how we missed that I'm so glad we didn't miss it because you brought it up but I'm so glad that's really key like coming in and telling your board from day 
one. From jump. Like, like, like look. Especially after you realize what some of those issues are. Look, I'm getting ready to make some changes. Change is disruptive. Change is often resisted. Um, and and you are likely to have one or two or even more people reach out with half stories about this experience, um, mm-hmm. you know, about what I have to do to get this organization back on track. Let me tell you, here's what I'm doing to foster a positive culture. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. But even with that being said, there's going to be some people, particularly low performers, Mm-hmm. We're going to be resistant to change. Usually the, yep. the low performers are often the most vocal. And so with that being said, when you receive any notice, letter, email, I want you to refer them back to the grievance policy, mm-hmm. which is number one, request a meeting with me. Number yep. two, if that meeting with me does not have the desired outcome, present your case in writing. Number three, By copying me, submit something to the board. And that's it. I want you just to be able to say to them, you know, you must follow the grievance procedure. I'm going to forward your your complaint to the CEO. That'll stop that. Yeah. But we have to come to the agreement that this is how you're going to handle that. Yep. And if we can't come to that agreement off the cuff, Exactly. Then there's, hey, I'm not going to be able to do this job. Like you can't second guess me because that is the tendency. Low performers are often the most vocal. I remember telling my board, you want me to change without changing anything. Exactly. You want me to make everybody happy, but that's not the goal. The goal is to get us to be fiscally sound. And And when you're based and effective in our programming and in order for that to happen, if folks haven't been doing their job, they got to go. And clearly you haven't made that type of decision. So it's not yours to do. Let me do it. I'm okay with not being liked. I'm okay with folks thinking I'm me. But then when you look at the numbers and look at the quality of what we're doing, that means I got rid of, you know, well, insignificant low, like people who were doing low performers, like you yes, said. Yes. Well, low performing organization has low performers. That mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why people don't understand that. Exactly. A low performing organization. If it's not meeting its budget, if its programs aren't meeting its outcomes, if it's not serving an appropriate number of clients. Low performing organization have low performers, mm-hmm. not all of the people, but some of the people. So you can't hand me that and then assume that, you know, you know, I'm going to be a magician and I'm going to be able to transform a low performer into a high performer and make them happy about it. Because here's the thing. If you've been paying a person 100 percent of their salary to do and they've been doing 10 percent. Yes, percent of their work. And now I'm coming in and I'm telling them I'm not increasing your pay, but I expect at least a 75% outcome. They're going to see that as a hardship. It's yeah. just no way around it. I'm 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 increasing what I've what you've asked them to do by 30, 40%. I'm not increasing their pay. They're going to see that as a hardship. They're not going to see what they were doing before me is getting over mm-hmm. because they become accustomed to it. So now I'm I'm requiring what they should have been doing in the first place. Obviously, they're going to see that as a hardship, and that's how they're going to report it to you. So you yeah. have to trust that either they're going to step up or they're going to be stepping out, and we're okay with that until mm-hmm. I get the organization, until I create a high-performing organization that has a high-performing culture. Once that's the case, things are going to level out. But we need to come to that understanding from the get. And that is what alleviates burnout. Yes, that Hon- is. Those honest conversations, being able to think, to, you know, like you just got to understand y- your priorities as an individual, know what God has called you to do yes. and execute it accordingly. And I think, I mean, it's so much more work. I mean, I'm looking forward to publishing um, this work and I'm definitely going to make sure that you are a part of it. So you awesome. all, so you can share with your clients, just some of the things that we're learning over here, but Yeah. I love it. I love it. This has been a great 
discussion. I think that it's going to save so many people that listen to it, especially those that are starting new leadership journeys, um, mm-hmm. especially if they implement the things that we're talking about. Um, you know, I think it's going to be life changing because it's a real it's a real phenomenon. So before we get off, I'd like to close out in prayer. Um, and I also want to remind people to like and share the podcast. Let us know what you think. Um, but thank you so much, Lanita, for being here. Let's close in prayer. All right. Father God, we just thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity to be used in the world, to build your kingdom, to serve your people. Father God, but we also thank you that we don't have a high priest who isn't touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You care about us as we serve. You said that you you wanted us to have life and have it more abundantly, that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Even Paul says that he wishes above all things that we prosper and be in good health, even as our soul prospers. So God, you don't want us to serve so much that we sacrifice ourselves. So help us to align our ideas of service with your ideas. Help us to make the paradigm shift that we're able to thrive and not just survive. And Father God, as we do that, we pray that you would protect our interests, that you would go before us and make the cricket places straight and the rough places smooth. And God, we trust you to do that. So we'll have the endurance, the energy to be able to influence the culture and impact the world. And so we thank you for it now in Jesus name. Amen. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome.